we are live or re recording all right um what's new what is new um honestly not a whole lot just a lot of work going on a lot of micro adjustments i'm trying to make in my life in terms of you know always moving towards more and more um efficient processes and whatnot Nice. Just ate a whole bag of chips. <laughs> okay. Uh, Humpty's party mix. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm. Um, I got I got some chips the other day from Costco that were like they're like spicy dill pickle Miss Vicky's. Damn. And they were amazing. I really liked them. I uh found not this... everyone's cup of tea, but I like anything dill. Delicious and. Uh... So I would probably already say I like those, um, but I found, or I didn't find, my roommate found this uh, hummus that is like dill pickle and garlic, and like, it is so good. Ooh. I, dill I, uh, pickle or just dill? Uh, well, I guess it's just dill, I think. Uh, I can't even remember. Ham, hands, Hanes, Hanes dill hummus. Let's see if that pops up. Oh yeah, roasted garlic and dill. Oh. Ooh, yeah, that sounds good. It's it's real good. Pretty expensive that stuff. All that kind of nice, good stuff for you is crazy expensive. Yeah, though. So hummus is kind of funny because it's like super it's like cheap the to make. Cheapest shit to make <laughs> yeah. yourself. It's like just chickpeas, um, right? I mean, chickpeas. Chickpeas are like the the cheapest shit on the planet. <laughs> um, like, I guess you need some like good olive oil and um you don't even really need tahini or anything like that like you can do all that shit yeah like a normal like, super cheap hummus to make is like literally you just take all the chickpeas you can handle throw them in a blender and like like you said olive oil which i mean is i guess kind of expensive but at the same time it's really not because <laughs> like you just well, buy you need massive much, quantities yeah. <laughs> yeah you're drinking matcha yeah, you barely you need any yeah, um, basically it's just because I, I drink a lot of coffee. Mm-hmm. So this is just, uh, just changes it up. <laughs> is that, like, how do you make that? Um, so I got this tin of matcha from Costco a while back. It's like, it's literally just like ground up matcha, green powder. Damn. And, uh, I got it a long time ago and I, I followed the directions to make, like, you're supposed to just add water and milk or whatever and and mix it all together and you're supposed to put in like a whole teaspoon of this stuff but it like gave me a, a headache and like anxiety it's so much caffeine really um and tastes kind of like shit because it tastes like seaweed if you in that large amounts mm. it's like be like savory um but uh i realized that if i use like half the matcha yeah like a half half a teaspoon and um and I also have like a little uh, latte machine thing like that like frother milk like a or... milk frother oh. yeah what is it called um, what is that machine I think it's called a milk frother oh okay <laughs> so it's not a latte machine um, it's just a milk frother yeah I lost the uh, frothing part of it a long time ago but it just like spins and heats up the milk and makes it like a little bit frothy um and so I just like heat that up and then add it to the like half teaspoon of matcha and it makes like a really it make it tastes just like a matcha tea latte from uh uh starbucks 
It's really good. You should send me those instructions. Oh, I, had, I had some sugar too. It's... And and there's less. I've cut less what? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's slightly less caffeine than a coffee at this point because it's half the matcha. But supposedly matcha's caffeine is kind of different. It um. It like lasts longer, but doesn't spike the same way as mm. coffee does. Hmm. Interesting. I don't know. I I found that like in following the directions gave me a headache like <laughs> it was like way too much for me interesting um, i'm always interested yeah. in like um because i i drink coffee well actually i mostly just eat coffee like caffeine pills um these guys here i usually crack them in half and it's about 200 milligrams per pill so it's 100 milligrams per serving which i think is like probably coffee at one cup yeah one or two cups maybe um well yeah depends on like the cup how big of a cup and what kind of beans you're using but that's about it yeah honestly cup, i'm I think. I think i'm probably one of the laziest people on the planet like when it comes to like <laughs> the things that i would rather do and the things that i would go to avoid doing the things like i love working and so it's like everything else is kind of secondary to like a, a fault like i was just speaking with my counselor on this and um he was like man you should probably just like pay for like a personal chef of like some sorts that just like meal preps for you because like honestly if you can if if meal prepping on like a sunday is going to take you three hours you could probably just work for those extra three hours and just pay like it would you'd make more than it would be to just pay some dude like and i was like huh and and like i had this all this like guilt i was like man i don't know if, like who am i to have like a dude that makes meals for me but then he was just like man why do you have to think like that like it's just that's just what works for you and i was like hmm so I like paid for a, not like a chef, obviously I don't have a nice kitchen and all that crap, but um, I'm just going to try out one of those like fully prepared meals per week. And it's, it's expensive, but like, right, honestly, it's cheaper than what I do right now because I go and buy a bunch of groceries, throw half of them out. I hate the stuff that I make and it takes me probably like <laughs> two hours every day um, to do that, which is like, like, what, what kind of service is there? Or like, like, are you paying somebody to come over or you, no, you're, it's, it's I don't know I just paid for it and I'm really just gonna hope that it works out um, but essentially there's this local company in Saskatoon here that's called um, Gaines something Gaines Locker um, meal prep and so essentially you like just buy these meals and they're like rather they're like 12 13 bucks and they you know um, the, the plan I got is for like weightlifters and stuff like that so hopefully there's enough more than enough calories and stuff and so it's mm -hmm. 10 meals per week that I bought which is essentially two meals every day, which is like mint. Um, because right now I'm lucky to eat like one to two meals every day. And like, right. I, I, cause the reason this conversation came up, um, and maybe this is actually a good conversation too, but, um, is, uh, you know, just, just like chatting with my counselor or whatever. Um, this was just yesterday. So it's pretty fresh. And I was just like, Oh man, like I, I wonder if I have like some kind of like ADHD tendency or like, like some level of it. And he was like, oh, that's interesting because I also was wondering if maybe you had something like that just because of the things I do, like the lists that I try to keep, like all the notes that I try to take and all that stuff is kind of in line with how some therapists would direct people that have ADHD to manage it. So I'm kind of like finding these ways of like managing this like symptom that I may or may not have just on my own, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And so I might try to go and get like a, a test done or some kind of diagnostics just to know. Um, and then I was talking with him and I was like, well, I also don't really want to like take meds, um, 
you know, just like, like, I don't really want to be a person that's on meds. You know, if, if I tried everything else, then sure. But I, you know, I would, we, him and I agreed. We're just like, but if you look at my diet, <laughs> I'm, I can't just like, I shouldn't go on meds just because, and just be like, oh, well, I'm healthy now. Like if you look at my diet, I eat like once to twice a day. It's like, come on, you know, how, how good are you going to be running on that fuel? Right. And so I figured, you know, with this, it takes all the stress of me having to like eat and cook, which is like a huge issue in my life just because I like it. But I, it's just, I, I, I'm just not one of those people that does that, I guess. I don't know what's different for me from everybody else, but I just hate meal prepping. I just hate all the work that goes into it. I like cooking a nice meal and I like recipes and all that kind of stuff. It's very similar. I find to programming, just like following instructions and getting a cool result, but to do it like every day or to meal prep and eat the same thing every day i i would rather just take the chunk of change pay for it and every day like if I, that cost me whatever it is a couple hundred bucks like a hundred and some dollars a week um like that's one to two hours three hours i could just work on the computer every day and i, and I never have to worry about it again right so it's like damn that's pretty pretty uh can't can't say no to that especially if it's going to increase my freaking life by a lot right yeah, I mean, if you're in a position where you are employed such that you can work as much as you want and you're making money faster than you'd be using your your yeah, like it's more efficient enough money that it's work. more efficient. Yeah. yeah. And you enjoy your I mean, you're lucky in that you enjoy your work so much that you'd actually prefer to be working than making food and living. That, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, at a certain point, it makes sense. Bill Definitely. Gates is but Gates shouldn't be making a sandwich for himself. Right. But the interesting thing too that um, the reason I felt like guilty is like, oh man, you, you only ever hear of these like mega wealthy people that do this. And it's like by no stretch of the imagination am I anywhere close to being wealthy. Like I make a rather like typical wage in terms of like adults, you know, around 30 years old in, in Canada. Um, at least that's what like, you know, I pay myself. Um, but like, it's just that, like you said, um, it makes sense in my position. It, it will take a substantial amount of the income that I take in. However, it will free up a lot more other space and time and just like the stress around it too, right? Um, so I'm going to try that out for, you know, a couple weeks, just see what it's like. Um, I was running the numbers like because I track all of my income and expenses and all that stuff, like down to like the dollar. And so I was just like looking at what I would normally spend. And like, I just spend so much money on like skip the dishes and like groceries that I don't use. Like even today I threw out a bunch of stuff that went bad and like, I was like, oh man, like there has to be a better way than this. And even chef's plate and like those other ones where you get the ingredients delivered, it's still, they're all like an hour to an hour and a half of investment to do it. And you're only getting like three meals a week sort of thing. So it's kind of like Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. So, if so I is, can, it, is it, does it come to you prepared? Like, yeah, it's like fully throw in the microwave. You put it in the microwave, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I freaking hope so. If this, if this is, like, uh, like uh, if they just send me a bunch of recipes, I'm not going to be too happy. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's, like, fully prepared meals that are, like, cooked and, like, just take them out and eat, which is, like, like I if this doesn't work for me, I've got to take some looks at, like, my, my life and figure out what needs to change because, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know. I'm pretty happy about that, especially if it like increases the, like my overall like quality of life, you know, then it's just going to be like one of those things that I just like, don't even really count it as an expense. It's like a necessary bill essentially. Um, right. Yeah. 
Um, did you continue with Toastmasters? Uh, I like since I've been back, I haven't been um, just because like there's been like um, catch up and stuff like that for work and whatnot. But I have plans to go either this Tuesday or the one after that. Um, so it's definitely like a lot of uh, like anxiety even like I find that with any like whether it's sports or like a Toastmasters thing or whatever. Like when you stop going for a few weeks and you break that habit, it, it takes a lot of like more mental like thought to get back into that mindset. Right. Yeah, of course. It's just like starting over. Um, depending on how long you've been doing it, I guess, but mm -hmm. still. Um, yeah, I just, I, I found there's, there's one at Guelph and there's one at the University of Guelph even, so. Oh, I would totally recommend it. Um, especially, yeah. like, I think you, you would have a, a more enjoyable time than I would. And, uh, only, the only reason I say that is because if you say it's at the university, I'm anticipating there'd be a lot more younger people there. Um. That's now, what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. Um. Especially now in Catherine, January. Right given like the new year oh, Catherine knows somebody Catherine knows somebody that's in the uh the non-university one um so she was looking at maybe doing that but cool I'm not sure I'm no it's a at. it's a nice like it's definitely freaky and like it puts you out there um but it's it's really the point yeah yeah exactly and like it's it's fun I find like it is a bit stressful like there's a lot of positions <laughs> you gotta learn and there's like some kind of my my counsel, counselor's like kind of go into it with like a grain of salt because some of the chapters can be kind of culty and some of them are like really good you know so it totally depends on who's running them and whatnot but i would definitely recommend it right cool what uh what else have you been up to um running experiments um yeah, not really, not a lot, actually. I mean, I've, I've just been in the lab. I haven't really been doing anything new. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, kind of boring. Not boring, but I've been reading a lot. Just, yeah. uh, just reading uh, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is the, the book that Blade Runner is based on. Oh. Really good. I So I joined a book club. Um, as per like this other work thing. Joined a book club? Well, sort of, not really. <laughs> I I said I was going to join a book club. Uh, the first book they picked was The Tattooist of Auschwitz, which I had already read. Great book. Um, mm -hmm. And the idea was that they were going to try to read a book like every month, which I think is like fine. And normal circumstances would be completely obtainable if you just work like a nine to five job and that kind of stuff. Um, but the next book that came around was um, A Gentleman in Moscow, which is also like a pretty acclaimed book, but it was very difficult to read and we all found it quite terrible just because the terminology and <laughs> just the way that the book is like is it's super difficult to read. I'm sure it appeals heavily to some people, but I found that like I, I cannot read like fiction books <laughs> like it's. The, this is gonna be embarrassing, but like the only fiction books that I like to read are like teen, like like Twilight. Man, I, I that <laughs> captured my attention for a full two weeks. Um, and other than that, yeah, yeah. it's just been like self help books or like autobiographies. Man, I love those. Um, and so I like I kind of threw my suggestions out there. I was like, hey, um, I I can do a book club, but like just let me know when you know you might be doing a book called, like an autobiography or like a like an Obama, like, you know, something that's, I don't know. I just, I just can't find, cause I read, um, every morning I wake up and I read at least a chapter of a book and then 
that's usually like what I consider like my reading for the day. And then it's, it's kind of just like, if I was going to read anything at night, I would just rather read the same book or like one that would kind of help me, I guess. And, or I don't know, it's just, I just don't really find the nonfiction stuff. Like some of them are really good. I read a bunch of the dark tower stuff. Um, but that kind of dried out eventually. And I just found there's, I don't know, it's just so hard for me to get into a fiction book, unfortunately, as much as I would like to. I find the same with video games, like RPG games. I cannot. It's all about the competitive games for me. The, the faster, I guess, dopamine fixes, I suppose. Right. Um, yeah, I, I've found the same thing during different periods of time. And, and I think it, a lot of it has to do with finding books that you actually do enjoy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of that has to do with finding like authors and then similar authors from that. Because um, I don't particularly enjoy... Um, fiction that's about real life. Yeah, I see. Like, like just kind of but fake do, timelines. But I do really enjoy science fiction mm-hmm. and um, uh, fantasy as well. Like, yeah, I don't know. I I could give you some um, that I think you might enjoy. Mm-hmm. What would be um, like your number one, like? A book that wouldn't be like too hard to get into, right? Like you're trying to you're trying to sell somebody on like this, um, not brand, but the genre. What would you recommend as like a easyish but good book? Um, the like Blade Runner one that I just read is it's two hundred and thirty pages, short, um, and it's fast moving. Mm. Um, it's good, really good science fiction. I'd recommend that. Like, I've heard about that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's got the really, really famous movie made about it, right? Which I Blade seen. Runner. <laughs> um, and then Blade Runner 2049, which is also good too. That was the, the sequel that they made, but, um, but the book's really cool. Um, what else? Uh, for like fantasy, like Lord of the Rings is like my mm-hmm. favorite, but that one's kind of long. <laughs> yeah, I found that it was kind of slow. Also, I tried reading the first like bit and obviously I think maybe reading or watching the movies kind of ruins it uh, because you're you, the movies are so much faster way of getting in such a shittier quality of it. But it's just kind of like, oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I also mostly listen to audiobooks. So right. when it comes to longer books, that's generally how I get through them. Right. Um, like, I, I don't know if I could have just read Lord of the Rings. Right. Fair enough. Um. Let, let me ask you. Have somebody doing all the voices and stuff too, yeah. which makes it right. a little more, a little more movie-like. I want to ask you a question. When you read a book, do you read? Maybe we've talked about it before. But do you read each individual word, or do you kind of like just glaze over the sentence and like your brain just kind of like figures it out? Yeah. So uh, I don't actually know if we've talked about this, but I have had this conversation with lots of people before. <laughs> um, but I read every single word. As if I am speaking it aloud. Mm, interesting. Okay. And it slows me way down. Yeah. Makes I me a very slow reader. Um, but that's not the case for a lot of people. So some people literally just, because I can kind of do both ways. And like, it's interesting when I choose to do something. Like, because sometimes I'll be reading a book and this might be like an ADHD tendency is like, I'll be reading a chapter and I will switch between reading like every individual word and then just like, oh, maybe I'll just try to in it. It's like I I don't know which way I prefer like I don't know, <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, I mean like like 
Catherine reads like a hundred pages an hour, I think. Holy shit! She said. Like really, really fast. That's wild. Um, and she absorbs it quite well. Which is yeah, that's amazing. It it always blows my mind when she'll like finish a huge book in an afternoon, and I'll be like, how? What? How yeah, that's that? insane. Um, whereas for me, you know, I, it probably took me like five hours to get through two hundred thirty page book. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but like. Holy. I don't know. She, I can wow. get through things faster on audiobook because I can speed it up. Yeah. And and see, I think I can I absorb would, yeah. it quite well. I've gotten good at absorbing audio quite well, but it's not the same. Yeah. With, with uh written word, I, you can't just mm-hmm. absorb it. I have to print I have to, like, I find my, even my throat and tongue are like moving. Yeah. Okay. The, like while I'm reading, you know? Yeah, mine too. Okay, I, so acting out. Um, yeah, for, yeah, I'm no, so I glad think that's pretty you... common. Okay, good. <laughs> I think um, I, I don't know how much you read as a kid, but I'm not sure if it's a if it's something that just depends on the person or if it has to do with your history of reading as a kid that hmm. makes a difference. Right, I'm sure it does. Like, right, like... I I know I didn't really read a lot when I was younger, and that maybe that kind of stunted me in the or or maybe. I don't know. That's that's one conclusion I've kind of come to. Maybe that, maybe that, that's something I just never developed. Right. Yeah, and I, I would agree reading. that I was similar to you as much as because you were a much better student than I was, like grade wise, and which means you're a better student than I was. Um, but I also never really read other than like required reading and stuff like that. So I wonder if even there the is required a... reading, even the required reading, I would have Julia read to me. <laughs> you never so, read. Like, I never read uh, like. Where the Red Fern Grows or Bridge to Terabithia or like all those. So you've I think been I, you've been practicing audiobooks for way longer than they were even a thing, really. I think maybe that's why I'm better at audiobook or and absorbing audiobooks too. Um I did read, but yeah. it's not very much. And I very rarely read a whole book. Do you know how to read, Jude? <laughs> I do know how to read, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's what I always like whenever I uh whenever I'm like suggesting a book to somebody I'll be like oh yeah and if you know how to read like you know it feels like nobody ever reads these days like <laughs> interesting yeah I wonder like I wonder if people are reading because like, I, I feel like people are still reading a lot now it's just we're not reading the large one second. books we're just reading one second. we're just like sorry grab. no problem or just like scrolling through Reddit or whatever, or like you're just reading like sentences yeah, and that's then true. moving to the next thing and then moving to the next thing. And we lose the ability to hold us like a steady like narrative. Span. Yeah. Well, I find so. sometimes like with me, I know a book captures me if like you kind of, you know, stop reading the words and it's just more of like a video playing in your head essentially. Right. Um, and like it the book can't do that to me there's very little chance that i finish it um and it's very it's the same way like when i meditate and whatnot it's like i can i can like focus on my breath and like try to do that and just kind of breathe and it works um or i mean i think it works i don't know meditation is a weird thing you don't really know if it works or not um but uh or i can kind of like put myself like kind of almost like i do in the stories you know where you kind of like disconnect and like go and like you're imagining something else sort of thing and both i would say like might be forms of meditation i think i don't know for sure um 
but I find that like in terms of books, like that's the only way that I can really kind of, I don't know, get in trapped in a book, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's funny though, that you find self-help books and, and autobiographies interesting though, or that those can hold your attention. Well, the interesting thing about those for me is like, I, I get excited about when I can read about something that improves my life essentially. So it's like, it's kind of like, um, the same way when you play like Maple Story and like those games, it's like, you're working on the XP bar and like the only thing that's like going to get you is just like seeing a little increment and finally you like evolve. And that's like when that level up happens. Right. And so for me, when I read these books, some of them have like, like some of them are like a mix of self-help, but they have like a story that kind of like goes along with it. Cause usually it's like an autobiography of like how somebody started from nothing and then like happened here. And there's a shitload of advice in, but in them, um, and, or like maybe micro stories. So it's like a chapter on this and then, Oh, here's an example of how that was used or whatever. Right. And for those, I find I'm always just like, Oh man, like this, this is like really cool because it's like applicable. I can, I can do it myself. I can, I, when I read it, I'm almost like envisioning myself doing it at the same time. Right. Right. So that, that like movie that I'm playing is like me doing whatever they're doing, I guess. Maybe just have a shit have imagination. Like a <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I think, um, or, or maybe it's just a different type of imagination. Yeah. True. Just narcissism. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have like a top three autobiographies or uh, biographies? I I say okay. I probably um one uh, probably all dragons and people. So if I had to pick like books based off like people themselves, um uh probably number one like that I like right now. And it's a difficult question to ask. Oh, top three. You know of this. It's like well, yeah, yeah, top course, three of like right. I don't know the past little bit. Um. I would or say like top three that comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like Jim traveling is a dragon's den guy. He's the one that started like Boston pizza. Um, mm-hmm. right. I just want to figure out what that book was called. Uh, yeah. Decisions, making the right ones, writing the wrong ones. So that book was really good. It kind of started me on like the whole, like, Oh, this is sweet. Um, the second one or like one of the top threes as well. We can't hurt me by David Goggins. Um, really it's like a, self-help book slash autobiography but it's like most self-help books you read them and they're just kind of like be better and do things and just be more efficient whereas his was just like i want to be better and then i failed a bunch of times and like you know he documents all his failures and like how he like gave up and then like came back and just like like pushed through so i find that one really good um and then the third one i don't know um persuasion by uh what was her name she's also a dragon's dad um by uh, Arlene Dixon Dickinson that was a good book as well um and it kind of goes into like more of the female side of like you know uh people like a female like a strong female leader in like the business world uh and like her starting and they all have like basically the same concept which is what I like they all started from pretty much shit and then they kind of jumped up and then did this uh, a couple other ones to throw out there too would be like Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark, Ma- Mark Manson. That's a pretty like, like viral book. It's really yeah. good. He came out with like specifically aimed towards like guys, one called Models and just about like how like girls like uh, see, it's kind of like that No More Mr. Nice Guy kind of stuff, but it's not like as terse as just being like, oh, just be a dick to people. It's kind of like, don't be as needy basically. Um, so as much as it was like a, 
like a dating advice book. It was more so like a, like, here's how, here's like a good uh, way to, to go about living your life, essentially. Um, right, I found yeah, that, that was actually, uh, Subtle Art and Not Giving a Fuck. That, that was my first, that was the first self-help book I ever read. And it's good. And, I would uh, say. Really good. Yeah. I think it combines, like, combines a lot of the sort of history of happiness or how mm -hmm. history of um philosophy of um striving you know and, and of doing well definitely um, it, it combines kind of stoicism with um Nietzsche and stuff it's really it's cool and it's Good one it's, and it reads well well i mean you know it kind of like some, yeah it's easy yeah. it's really yeah. easy to, to to read no you know, it's so no can, no wonder why i try to so get those yeah you could try to get those lessons from ancient philosophy but this you know it and put it into modern, um, easy to read format. It's it's really good. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. I uh, I was super happy that that book went as viral as it did because it, it was just like, man, I hope a lot more people can like, like, will pick this up and like discover this like topic of like self help and just kind of like you know self coaching and all that kind of stuff because it's it was such a good book. Um, yeah, I bought it twice because the first time it got taken away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that was yeah that one is all about like start, uh, trying to change your mind towards craving adversity right and, and like actually living for adversity mm -hmm. um, which was yeah something i hadn't really encountered before although i hadn't read a lot of that style of book before he he actually came out with another one that i haven't read yet um and it's called everything is fucked um a book about hope and so i don't like I, f I figure that would be a great book in terms of covid and whatnot um but i i don't know the narrative about that i'm assuming you probably haven't read that either just by your reaction nope no i i only read the one of his um i read uh one recently i called the war of art mm, it's not the art of war so really no I've read that too, but <laughs> The War of Art, really good. Mm, interesting. Stephen Pressfield, I eh? Yeah. I'll have to look that up. Came to fame. Cool. Uh, he was, yeah, Stephen Pressfield was on the Lex Friedman podcast, and I really mm. liked that. I actually just listened, well, Lex and yeah, cool. Cool. Joe, maybe? I can't remember. He was on Joe again, I think. Um, I really like Lex. He's a really interesting guy. Yeah, I'd say he's one of my, like, intellectual idols. And I don't even um, know too much about him, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I know, like, what he... He does, like, AI and all that kind of stuff. Um, and he does jiu-jitsu, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, but other than that... AI and jiu-jitsu, and he... Yeah, he's a bit of a renaissance man. He, um... Yeah, he moved to... He was lived in Russia for the first... Like, for his childhood. And then his family moved to the States. Um, he actually recently had a podcast with his dad, who is a, he's like one of the, he's like one of the most prolific plasma physicists in the oh, world. Alexander. Hmm. Um, cool. But, and his dad's like straight Russian. It's, it's cool. Listening about his dad's experience in like trying to like growing up in Russia. The following. Coming. I'm going to listen to incredible that right after this. <laughs> scientist. It's really, really sweet. See, that's um, the kind of stuff that I love to read about and, and just like, cause it puts me in their shoes, like, or just like puts me at that time in their life. And it's just like, holy crap, this is so cool. Dude, it's awesome. That's a super, super cool podcast. Um, I, yeah, I'd, I'd love to just hear them talk all day. Cause 
is you know not only his his dad a genius and his mom was also a physicist i think so like he he has these really really amazing scientist parents and then channels all that into computer science and becomes this ai specialist at mit um, and he's and not invisible he's since like a, i think he still teaches at mit but now he has a startup ai startup that he focuses on primarily very cool. and he has tons of podcasts with really smart people um yeah it's awesome i i would uh oh crap what's his name i got another uh one of his podcasts to recommend um hmm, would it be michio kaku uh no um the expanding universe by alex filipenko Oh, he was with uh, another computer science guy. I'm just uh, looking at German his popular podcast. Oh, Ethereum cryptocurrency in the future of money. Vitalik Buterin. No, when was no. it? <laughs> I think maybe it was because I I have like a, a playlist, but I I think I probably mm. like super old. Is it George Hotz? Maybe not that old. Nope. <laughs> Forget it. I'll I'll remember later. later. <laughs> no, you won't, and I'll never find out. But it's okay. Yeah, you'll never know. Yeah. I mean, we can we can I can find it now if you want to. But... No, 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 it's okay. We don't need to spend thirty minutes just. <laughs> no, I I I would one day hope that I can like have a conversation. Like that's honestly like if I could wish for any kind of level of success in my life. It would just be to the point where I could call some people like this and just be like, oh, hey, man, like, do you, like very much like how you and I chat, you know, just kind of like, hey, dude, like, yeah, just yeah. tell me everything that's in your brain, like, right now. <laughs> like, I want to know, I want to, yeah, totally. I want to do everything and I can't, so let me just live through you, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's crazy hearing, especially AI guys, because they, like, a lot of, AI people have to understand the brain so well. Like mm -hmm. people that are actually like breaking through in AI and, and improving AI, or writing one, um, like their ideas. Yeah, but the, like there's a lot. Of, these people are working on like uh, working on artificial general intelligence, um, which is basically trying to make a conscious, or, or not necessarily <laughs> trying to make a conscious being, but trying to make an intelligence that can be applied to anything, basically. Right. Um. But not because right now AI is usually highly specialized. Yes. Into either vision or language, or um, you know other things. Driving that would be mostly vision right. based. But is that would you but, that uh, driving would be classified as vision based? Yeah, I mean it's 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 kind of like more complicated because it's several different right. things because it's, it's using. But it 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 is I guess. At its very basic, it would be a computer vision problem. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, you're basically teaching a computer to see the world as well as us. And then it's also trying to make it so that it makes decisions the same way Based we do. Based on that. Yeah, right. right, right. Cool. So it's vision, but it's also trying to make a, like a three-dimensional representation. Right. Like make decisions about. That's really interesting. Um, I guess yeah. Whereas, like, I guess yeah. Google, whereas like Google Now or whatever, or like or Alexa or like any of those are are the language based AIs. Mm -hmm. um, 
which are also really cool. It's all really cool. I, I find, really yeah. like that deep learning didn't, stuff. Didn't I, uh, Google come out, sorry, didn't Google come out with like a earbuds or something that like can translate live time or like they're, I, I don't know, I heard somebody say about that. Yeah, I don't know if it's Google. Somebody has made that. Um, well, yeah, language processing is something that, that uh, it takes a particular uh, architecture of deep learning um, and is able to, to and and language trans yeah language translation especially it's really really cool. That's why they do it. It's really complicated, and it's I mean you you build these structures that you can't really even understand. Mm -hmm. That's what's so cool about them to me is that even like you might understand at a very high level of what it, what it's doing, but trying to actually understand what it's doing yeah <laughs> is a is a struggle. And that's what makes it so interesting. Well, because like, like in the neural net or whatever, it it does make a decision. Like it's and it's just like how how does that work? You know, like I like we don't know, right? Like it's like you you just basically give it a shitload of inputs. You do the cross mapping or whatever the hell it is. I haven't really dug too much into it. And you have like the set of outputs, and you basically just feed that back with a bias. But it's like outside of that, <laughs> you try, it's like man, this is where it gets weird. <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't know if you've seen any of those like visualizations of different layers, but it it honestly it looks like an acid trip. It's crazy. Really? It's like this slow abstraction into specific um, uh, components, of, like especially the visual ones, like the computer vision. Um, Damn. How would I'm not I... actually sure exactly what they're representing, but uh, you can. Maybe feature maps? Feature maps. No. AI visualization. No. Uh, not AI. Uh, say like a neural net. Neural net layer visualization. Hmm. Could be a good guess. Mm. Neural network layer visualization. Oh my gosh, there's so many studies. <laughs> yeah, go to. Oh whoa, I see it now. Still, visualize con convolutional features in. Wow, I see. Yeah, these. Yeah, I see what you're. It's Are you like, on distill.pub? No, distill. I I just looked at switched to images and then. Oh yeah, this is distill. Yeah. Um. Where like it kind of starts with it's like lines those deep uh, patterns, those and... deep things, right? Those deep, whatever they're called that Google's doing. Uh, well, deep learning, deep deep nets, deep deep, uh, nets. deep dream. Yeah, like deep dream is a computer visual deep vision dream. program created by an engineer that uses convolutional neural network to find and enhance patterns in images. Yeah, that's what it is. It's so, like you get like these mm -hmm. pictures of like dogs and it tries to like replace everything with like a picture of a dog and it like makes dogs out of things that shouldn't be dog. <laughs> like it's like, it's like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Like messes with your brain because um, your brain is like trying to think that it's something there, but there's not actually like, it doesn't know what that is. That's freaky. It's cool because I like those structures and those architectures that they're using probably exist in our brain. Um, yeah. I think the visual cortex contains a lot of layers similar to that. 
Um, and I'm sure there's plenty of uh, those types of architectures throughout our brain. So I, I think the way to think about our general intelligence is is just like a bunch of little uh, specific, like very specific types of neural nets mm -hmm. um, that are specialized. And then we are able to incorporate them all together somehow. Uh, and that's the really amazing thing that enables us to do so many things. Right, right. And it also is what enables us. And, and mixes them too. That's another yeah. thing is we, we're mixing our senses. So you might have, you know, your ears are probably have some aspects of sequential uh, uh, sequential uh, neural nets. And then you have your eyes that are probably evolutional neural nets. And then mm -hmm. you have your smell is another one and your taste is another one. But then you can kind of combine them all. You can combine your vision with your hearing. That's really yeah, fascinating. That's freaking wild. But it's when you when you isolate it and like you look at this neural net, like it's it's weird because like as humans, you know, we probably have some level of like true randomness, right? Like that things like we can, it's like you cannot program that, but you can build it. Like you can build a neural net where it's like you can basically take how our brain works and build it as like a computer. Like that's what these neural nets are essentially doing. And I find that fascinating because mm -hmm. it also tells you like we'll probably learn a lot about how the brain works just by like when we're building these neural nets and like, you know, all those questions that are like, why do we think like this? Well, okay, well maybe we can model it like this and then get our neural net to behave that similar way. Right. Yeah. And we, we have done that already. There's a lot of computer scientists that like, that is their end oh, cool. goal is they're they're making artificial intelligence such that they can understand what the brain is doing better. Um, and they also, and there's also people doing the opposite where they're looking at the brain and trying to apply that to, to, uh, to deep learning. Right. Um, and you really need people to come together and work both ways, but they are complimentary. Right. Really, for sure. Really cool it's all so fascinating. Things converge. Um, yeah, I get to a point where I feel like I need more math understand it like more like understanding of math itself sort of thing yeah it's like it's a lot of i mean with the with deep learning it's a lot of uh linear algebra and stuff but um really understanding the movement of information and and uh and mapping of information needs a better understanding of like logic and um mm -hmm. a lot of like uh, oh and like turing machines and stuff you need that uh um of like old computational understanding that was right. already figured out 100 years ago or you just go on youtube and find some dude from like east india who's, who can talk about it <laughs> like yeah man but like it's it's tough stuff that like formal logic to like actually understand it really, and interpret really hard yeah yeah it's a whole nother language I find that I, that's like the um, one thing that I really struggle with and I struggle with it now and I used to struggle with that with in school and I don't really know how I get around it, but I just end up doing it. But it's it's really understanding a concept. And there was a simple example. Um, okay, this was not anything to do with math at all. This was to do with a shotgun clause, which basically, I don't know if you know what that is, but in business, when you sign an agreement this, <laughs> with my 
lack of trying to understand it, I'm going to try to explain it. Basically, sure. um, <laughs> and it's a very simple thing to understand. And now that I know what it is, it's like, man, how do I not understand that? But I struggle with these. Basically, what it is, if you have a partnership, and let's say you and I are in a partnership, right? We And we have a shotgun clause in place. I can say, Jude, I want you out. So um, I, I want to buy the business from you for $5, right? You can say, because of the shotgun clause, you can say, well, no, I can buy you off for $5. So it basically gives both parties equal right. And so the, the way it works is like, if, if, if I want the business and I try to pay you $5 for it, you also have the right to pay $5 for the business because I enacted the shotgun clause, right? And so for me, that's a bad deal because I want the business and like, let's say the business is worth $100,000, $5 is nothing. For, and so instead I would probably say, Jude, I want to buy the business from you for $50,000. Now it's up to you whether you want to take 50 grand or buy the business for 50,000. Does that make sense? Um, <laughs> it's basically, uh, to, to give more context, um, when if you make an offer, you have to accept. Or you can, tr you can use the same, the, the context behind pulling a shotgun clause is when things kind of go so sour that you're not making decisions and the business health is kind of like struggling and one of you needs to leave essentially. And so you basically say, okay, like this is a shotgun. I don't know how you would actually enact it, but you would say, um, this is the deal you're buying me out or I'm buying you out and I'm buying you out for $5. Um, and I want the business or you can say no, because you've enacted it. I can buy you out for $5 and I get the business. So it's so is the person that initiates it first. Um, they set the they set the terms essentially. Right, and, but then so then the the so say I say, <laughs> uh, I would like to buy the business for five dollars. Yes, I can say um, no. I'm buying it for five. You say no. I'm buying it for five dollars. Then I can't do anything about that. No, correct. Correct. That's 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 done essentially, because okay. if you do it formally, I believe. Um, I think like maybe maybe there's negotiations or something, but like um, essentially it gives a way out for both parties um, where both people can live. But I literally just could not understand. And maybe that's a bad <laughs> example. Um, but like everybody else in the room seemed to get it right away. And I was just like, man, what? Why can't I just like, where is this epiphany moment where I'm just like, oh, that's how it works. I think because it's a weird concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of need an example uh, of when that would be necessary right. to really understand it. You need to know the motivation in order to understand it. Very true. You'd have to have like two people that, uh, that either you want the whole business or you want none of it. Mm -hmm. And so that has to be your motivation is I want all or nothing. Maybe that's a shitty example of what I'm trying to, to get at. Uh, <laughs> let's bring it back to like the math point of view. Um, for me, a big reason as to understanding something is like asking why it is the way it is, right? And so like, for example, algebra, it's like, well, why does this go here? Why does this get moved? How, like, how does this happen? And sometimes in math, it's just because it's like, oh, that's just because those are the rules, right? And I can't, <laughs> like, for me to fully understand it, I need to understand why that came up to fruition. I think that's why I struggled a lot with concepts down the road. And I think it's why I'm so good at programming is because asking why in programming is basically just breaking everything down. Like I can literally see how everything is built by just control and clicking into functions and stuff like that. So I can solve my own why. But when it came to like math, like calculus, 
Like, I was like, man, why does this work? And the teacher would just be like, like, just stop asking questions, you know? Yeah, and I think part of that is also because a lot of people can teach how to do calculus, but they don't actually understand it themselves. Mm, and that probably is very true. Because um, I think yeah. the way that calculus is taught is very much in a engineering standpoint. They can right. teach you how to do the problems, but you don't really know what it means. Yeah, and really see, that's when, that's exactly what it is. Because when it came to tests and whatnot, it's like I I I literally couldn't I couldn't wrap my brain around it because it's like I I just didn't know how what why I was making the decisions I was, and I'm not a memorization guy either. So it's like I wasn't mm -hmm. just going to memorize these steps and try to use that because I didn't have the base understanding. But maybe that's just, yeah. Well, like, yeah. like calculus, calculus is the first thing you learn is the limit, which is the hardest part of calculus. Making that under, that, that is a, a leap you have to make mm -hmm. that you can, you can turn something that's finite and discrete and, and convert it into something that's infinitesimally small, which is not exactly a, mathematical um like that's how it's described it's not really mathematically defined so well right but i think you need much more complicated math to really understand it properly so when you're faced with um, something like that how did you like get to the point where you could like under, like when you're faced with an issue that you don't know how do you understand those like do you just read them and grind out problems or like do you just like like ask a shitload of questions or how how do you deal with things like that um so it depends on what it is sometimes i'll i realize that i'll never understand it <laughs> and you just have to and or or you realize that you actually have to learn how to do it first before you can understand it sometimes knowing the mechanics of something um will help you understand how it works um, and it makes it so that you can't exactly explain it all that well. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it seems like actually being able to do something, re it requires you to be able to do something in order to understand it. Right. It's kind of right. like, uh, it's kind of like kind that of like whole, like teaching something like it's easier. You only understand it when you can teach it to somebody essentially. Yeah. Although I, I, maybe some things can't like some things you actually have to learn by doing. Right. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. riding a bike, right. Right. Riding a bike is something where you, you cannot just tell someone how to do it and then have them do it. They actually mm. have to do it themselves. And then all of a sudden they understand it. And that's interesting um, when it and, comes to... And like, that understanding can't be can't be explained. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can try, but you can't explain it sufficiently so that someone else can do it. And I think uh, that's sort of how certain... That's, that's how a lot of math is taught. Mm -hmm. And you actually need more advanced math to be able to understand really what's going on yeah because like when you look at like how like addition works for example like everybody knows how but like when you actually look at the math and the proof behind how one plus one is it's like holy shit like this is like crazy um there is there is the the prince uh principia mathematica or whatever the, yeah yeah the, i looked at that <laughs> by bertrand russell and it's, that wrote it's massive it. man i think it's yeah i think it's it's like 50 pages in they prove one plus one yeah. equals two and it's like a long so, yeah exactly it's a long yeah route. there's there's an extremely complicated and well maybe it's not even that complicated it just takes forever yeah um this to get to that point in order to have like a logical logically sound system that can define that 
Um, and that is what I was talking about with logic and pred- I think it's called predicate logic, which is mm-hmm. like, it's something that I, I would love to understand better. And I like to get a, like a in- introductory textbook on it or something. Cause um, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Goodall's, um, uh, Goodall's, uh, oh, crap, what's it called? You can't prove, you can't prove anything with a sufficiently um, consistent mathematical basis. Hmm. I might have been gibberish. Uh, uns- <laughs> uh, what is it called? Okay, let me look it up. Go- incompleteness, incompleteness. Incompleteness is what it's called. Uh, incompleteness theorem proves that like there are mathematical proofs that cannot, or there are things that are mathematically true that cannot be proven with mathematics. Weird. Um, yeah. Sorry, what you was actually, that called? It's called, so G-O-D-E-L, Godel, or Godel, I think is how you pronounce yeah. it, but, uh, is incompleteness theorem. Incompleteness. Oh, yeah, theorem. <laughs> That's a wild. It's Godel. probably like G-O-D-E-L. one of, yeah, it's one of the most, like, philosophically interesting findings in math ever. <laughs> and pretty much nobody can understand it unless you <laughs> know a lot of math. Right. That's that's pretty freaky. And I think I think that's um, I think that's but it, like yeah. like that that proof it sh- it proves that there are things in physics we can never determine. Like what? Or I guess me. <laughs> like there are facts about the universe. Right. We cannot prove. So it's basically kind they of like what I said. Require mathematics yeah. to prove them. But we don't have them. Um, I mean maybe maybe there isn't maybe there isn't actually those things maybe but maybe the only things that are unprovable are um, so abstract that they don't mm-hmm. even really have any um, uh, physical representation right. in the real world yet. But maybe not. We don't know. And there's actually yeah. ways of you can actually prove things are true by by proving that they're improvable. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you can prove the opposite, you can just say, well, yeah, inverse of that. Whatever. That's actually a sort of a weird way around. The incompleteness theorem is that mm-hmm. you can, if you can prove something is Im- is not provable, then you can't prove um, that it's not not proven. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I it's guess it's the same as like when you're cool. when you have a a proof, like a, you're doing something. If you can just find one thing that makes it invalid, well, then you don't longer have to prove that it's true, right? Like that's probably what that whole one plus mm-hmm. one thing. It's like the hardest thing is is not proving that one plus one equals two. It's proving that one plus one does not equal one. <laughs> I guess would probably be the hardest part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder, I wonder going back to that. Well, kind it accounts of, for yeah. every possible. Right. But go ahead. I was just going to say, going back to like the original thing, I wonder if, cause like I, to me, logically, like, I don't like the whole magic bit that you kind of mentioned, where it's just like, you just need to do it. Like riding a bike, for example, you can tell someone how to do it, but until you get on it yourself, something happens and then you figure it out. And like that, something is like, you know, your brain balancing and doing all that kind of stuff. But if you put that in like a studying context, that's basically just like telling somebody just grind this problem out many, many, many times and eventually something might click. And I hate that. I hate not knowing. <laughs> and so I think maybe that's why I was so bad at school. And like, if I just, if I was just like, Hey, this is going to suck for like three hours, but I'm just going to do like all my multiplication or like all my whatever math that I was doing and just constantly do it. And then eventually it'll just be good. Like maybe, maybe that would have just solved all of my, my issues is just being like there is no way to explain how i don't know this it's just 
you just got to put the time in. I guess that's what studying yeah, and is. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I was always good at seeing patterns and following patterns. So that's what a lot of math was. It's just like, this is how you do it. And then replicating it. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then, I, you know, using those tools um, to solve, like, the more complicated it got, especially in, like, second year calculus um, in university. It, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. when you actually manage to solve a really complicated yeah question. it's kind of like a big kind of like a puzzle mm-hmm. and you have all of these tools at your disposal different ways of determining determining different outcomes um and moving it in a particular direction and also the questions are made such that they can be solved in a particular way right um and you have to find that combination of, of different strategies to get you there um the real world is not like that you will get questions that are mm-hmm. impossible to do by hand and you need computers to just numerically crunch them out. That's probably why, like, I, man, I kind of wish you became a programmer because I think, like, you would be so good and then... I'm, but I'm good you didn't because I can now say I'm the better programmer of us two. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I like, part of me still wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily for building... Well, I don't know, actually. I, I don't know. I, I would really like to learn how to to implement neural nets mm-hmm. um, and understand it enough that I can actually improve upon it, I think would be really, really cool. And I feel like being in neuroscience does give me, give me a little bit of a, an, a Leg view <laughs> of... Well, it gives me a view of the field that most people wouldn't have right yeah for sure um yeah i just don't know like how to because that's the problem is is uh, there's there's courses and i actually i started uh uh taking one on coursera Mm -hmm. that was the deep learning course and um got through a few got to the convolute i think i finished the convolutional neural networks um part of the course and i got to a point where i would, i could do it but i didn't understand what i was doing <laughs> yeah interesting and then i was like shit i don't even want it like how am i supposed to implement this myself like i can i can sort of replicate what they're you change doing, minor I don't things really know what's going yeah, on. you don't know why it's and, working uh, yeah and how am i gonna i don't know if i'm if i'm understanding it well enough to even be able to apply it to a different type of data um that's more representative of what I'm doing. Oh. And unless I have, unless I actually have something that I'm trying to apply this to, I'm just going to forget it all. So yeah, that was the conclusion true. I came to was I don't actually have a data, enough data mm-hmm. in any of my data that I'm getting to be able to do anything with this. Right. Um, so like so a lot of the stuff being done in medical imaging and uh, cause there's a lot of um, machine learning happening there and in, in fMRI imaging and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking, oh man, like I'm gonna be getting fMRI images. Um, maybe I can apply some of these machine learning methods, and it'll get more information out of my data. Yeah. Um, but the data sets you need are huge. Yeah, they're like really trained and thousands. You need hundreds, <laughs> or or even like with with MRI, it's it's more like hundreds. Um, but a hundred MRI, like like to get a hundred MRI scans. Or or n like an n of a hundred is way more than I would ever have. Like right. I'll be going in probably like n equals ten. Right. Hmm. 
because it's so expensive. Why? Okay, you need so a lot of data. This is a question I have, and I don't want to derail the topic. But why are things like MRIs expensive? Like you have the technology, what what makes it so expensive to just do one? Um. Well, part of it is the actual engineering and building of it. Like you kind of have to be very smart to build an MRI and to run an MRI. So, like, just the operating costs. So they're just trying to, like, pay um, it off, basically. Yeah, so, I mean, an MRI machine is, like, millions of dollars. Right. And it requires an enormous amount of energy. I think mm -hmm. you actually need special infrastructure to run one. And you need special, like, you need liquid, um, liquid helium, I think, is how they cool the magnets. Crazy. So, like, it's, it requires really, really fancy stuff and really high like huge incredible magnets hmm. <laughs> and motors and um and then the computation and software uh like it's all really really complex right so and the yeah. the actual detectors themselves i mean you're literally what you're doing is you're you're lining up a bunch of electrons and then or a lot of bunch of molecules and then letting them rest for like millisecond not even milliseconds like like it's super super fast so you put you put all of these molecules into a magnetic field that straightens them all out, and then you just like let them go for a second, and the, and how quickly they they turn back into their original states, how quickly they turn back into chaos, is how it uh, will depend on the tissue that they're in. Wow. And then you have to detect the change in angle of every single molecule in that tissue that you're scanning so and turn it into an image so like it requires an enormous amount of computational power and really really sensitive um technologically complicated I sensors see. so it's not so it's not and, basically and you need somebody yeah. like it's got to be built by people that understand all that stuff and designed by people that understand all that stuff and then it has to be operated by people that are able to program it right and actually get useful information out of it so when you get an MRI done, like let's say I was to go in for an MRI, it's actually like changing like my, like it's actually doing things to me basically. It's not just like taking a picture. <laughs> it's kind of like, or, yeah. wow. I mean it, so. I guess everything kind of does that though. It's, like, it's measuring um, how much oxygen is in uh, your tissues. Oh, uh, well, there's different types. There's different right. types, but it's like blood oxygen level dependent. The bold fMRI functional, yeah. Crazy. Um, so I guess it's like how much oxygen is in there is 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 gonna. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really cool. It's it's the more blood flow going to a particular part of your brain will correlate with that brain being used. That part right. of the brain being used. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I see. So. Um, so and and the blood flow going to that will change the amount of oxygen in that region because mm -hmm. blood carries oxygen, right? And how much oxygen is being used up by that area? Cool. Uh, is what is the signal being sent? See, I don't know how in like, like let's say like a forty year period because that's probably what it would be like from somebody who's like in high school to like with a bunch of years of experience how somebody goes from 40 years to knowing and building those kind of things like it's like holy shit like that's 
that's yeah and, like when you look at like old people like like in like like from the whenever they're developing these mathematical things like pythagoras and those people it's like what like you you just sit at home and do math like all day <laughs> like how does this work <laughs> where is that disconnect yeah. in people like now versus then and just like people even now just like who's building spaceships like how do you know that you know yeah i think just understanding fmri requires a like i don't really understand it mm -hmm. i i can kind of fake my way through because i've seen enough explanations of it right um the actual physics involved is really complicated. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's insane. It, like even the people using M fMRIs don't really understand how they work all that well. Right. And understand the, maybe the principles, but how the person actually figured that out to begin with is unbelievable. Yeah. Like it's, it's so I, like, those are the type of people that I would like to talk to, you know, and just be like, how, <laughs> did this come to fruition you know like what the hell were you doing and like i guess maybe people that use it like you said you can go and take a course on how to use the actual equipment that's not very difficult i don't imagine but like understanding Even that's pretty yeah, difficult <laughs> yeah. and i guess that's the same thing we're talking about is like using it versus understanding it right you can point i can type on the keyboard but like how does it actually work like well nobody really knows that except for the people that do know that you know mm -hmm. that's what interesting yeah it's crazy Wow. What else you got planned for this weekend? <laughs> um, this weekend I'm finishing up this the present cohort of rats I have um, for nicotine withdrawal. I, uh, I did adults and adolescent males. Now I'm doing adult females. Cool. Um, giving them e-cigarettes and, and uh, how their withdrawal compares between sexes and between ages. Hmm. Do you, like, would a huge change in society, like, let's say everybody was to quit juuling and, like, switch something else, would that essentially scrap some of the work? Like, would that, like, would you guys be like, oh, shit, we should probably change this? Or would it be like, well, we've chosen to work with this equipment. We can't change to, like, a new piece. Or is it easy enough just to be like, well, we'll just switch? Uh, I, yeah, I could switch. I could I could try to, like, pivot um, towards something else. But, uh people are going to keep jeweling like people are people are going to keep using e-cigarettes mm -hmm. um, even if it's becomes less pressing because there's not as many people doing it i mean and and it's not necessarily trying to just get everyone to stop because that's not necessarily what we're going for it's more just understanding what what drives it what happens yeah um and yeah exactly how how vaporized nicotine differs from other modes hmm. Crazy. it's just like I mean, we'd also be interested in long-term effects. So all the people that have already jeweled right. might want to know what they got down the pipeline right. coming up. If Big Pharma uh, was to come to you and be like, hey, man, we'll give you $500,000 a year, and we want you to take all of your knowledge and basically build us the most powerful, like the most addictive nicotine thing ever, would you take the money and just do it? Or would you be like, fuck off? Um, and I said big pharma, I meant big tobacco. I, I would say no, depending on <laughs> what it was. Like, depending on what the outcome was. Because, like, I, I've actually thought about this in terms of having a prescription uh, nicotine replacement therapy. 
that was based on e-cigarettes, mm-hmm. but actually added more components of cigarettes such that it, it mapped a cigarette better. Hmm. Um, cause like currently, uh, e-cigarettes are mostly nicotine, right? And flavoring and stuff. Yeah. Um, but the addictive component is the nicotine. Right. So with cigarettes, it's nicotine, but there's other things in there. Yeah. Like, uh, gross. And well, and like there are chemicals, we don't even know which ones. Right. Um, that are MAOI inhibitors, which are, are, uh, the most powerful class of antidepressants we have. Um, there, so when you try to quit a cigarette, you're actually, you're kind of going through two forms of withdrawal. You're going through withdrawal on the nicotine front, and you're also basically trying to quit an antidepressant. Holy. Huh. So that's why I was thinking like you could potentially put MAOIs into an e-cigarette. Um, and it would end up matching closer to a cigarette in terms of its, uh, addictive profile but but you'd also match it better in terms of trying to quit because i think a lot of people try to quit using an e-cigarette and they still go through a form of withdrawal Mm -hmm. because they are you know they have the nicotine but they don't have the maoi inhibitors right so if you could add that in back into the e-cigarette i bet it would make a significantly more powerful or more um effective replacement therapy Hmm. But of course, I'd only work on something like that if it would be prescription. Right. Yeah. Not just like. <laughs> right. If it would be like, hey, I am a smoker and I need something. Because in the end, like cigarettes are killing people. Yeah. Like it is the leading preventable, leading cause of preventable, preventable death in the world. Yeah. Still over. A, still, hey. still over a billion people that smoke cigarettes worldwide. A Jeez. billion. If they were all to stop, would we even have the infrastructure to support all those new people? <laughs> like kind of a morbid question but like <laughs> uh yeah i think um the overall uh effect of all these people smoking is actually a larger burden right yeah on healthcare and on yeah very true well most, mostly healthcare care and if there's a billion people uh, too they're probably all of a sudden all, you'd have yeah. a bunch of people you'd have a bunch of less sick people <laughs> that could help out which is terrible no it's because like people don't just you don't drop dead after smoking cigarettes. You, yeah, it's true. A while before it, it, it it's true. You. I wonder. Like a lot I of people are sick that. and not very effective workers for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how uh, how many people high up in like the tobacco lands actually smoke themselves. Probably very Good few question. of them. I don't I know. imagine. Well, or maybe, maybe I mean maybe they just don't uh, care. Yeah, or, or convince themselves that, that it's okay. Mm. I mean, I, I feel like if you're going to be lying and yeah, and to that point, you almost kind of have to lie to yourself. Right. Too. Yeah, very true. That's what we, kind of what we talked about last week, too. Like, yeah. just lying so much to yourself where you actually just believe it. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, yeah, a lot of the doctors and stuff that, that originally led the, that kind of misinformation probably lied to themselves a little bit i don't know if it was a hundred percent malicious like consciously malicious or maybe maybe like probably what what i probably think happened is like they were told to do something and then like they just got paid for it and all of a sudden next thing they know all their research and stuff is like going towards like like you're like oh my god that's what i just did like i just (laughs) yeah 
billion people. Yeah, totally. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think um, money is able to bias your uh, the way you view things morally, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it can kind of corrupt you in such a way that you'll say, oh, well, you know, these people are still making their own decisions. Um, it's your choice if you want to get addicted to something or you have to start, right? It's true. Of course, everybody starts when they're adolescents. So like, over 90% of people start smoking cigarettes before they're 18. Which is crazy. Like So, it, I mean, you're, you're basically, if adolescents weren't, like underdeveloped essentially enough to be to to start in the first place mm -hmm. um and like very few adults will start smoking because they you know you grow up and you get to the point and you're like no oh, it's, it's gonna kill me i'm not gonna do that well and I adolescents guess, yeah. are more driven by by peer yeah uh, peers and and by you know the more impulsive um drives trying to impress people it'd be really interesting to fit in. um like maybe you're doing this already but like because i think what you said is true like for me when growing up it's like if i knew somebody that smoked it was like oh my god like that's crazy but like if you grew up where like your entire family smoked you'd grow up and be like oh you don't smoke like, interesting i wonder if like you could study that like in rats or whatever it's like if the parents were addicted to nicotine and then they like pressed a button a bunch or whatever and then they're like babies weren't but like i wonder what the correlation would be between like if they started just by viewing what the parents did or like you know, if they never started sort of thing, that would be an interesting study. They like watched their parents. Yeah. Like if they, if you didn't do anything and you're basically like, like how much more likely is a baby rat to hit that button if their parents do it versus if they never did it? I guess you'd have to, it'd be hard to like model that, uh, separate the effect. Like, cause you, you'd have to find out whether the, just your parents getting nicotine makes you more susceptible whether you know they do it or not right like that could be um right there there is and, or, or and especially like while you're while they're pregnant like if a female rat is using is smoking cigarettes while their baby is pregnant <laughs> or while they're pregnant yeah um then the developing um rat fetus is going to be exposed to the nicotine mm -hmm. already while yeah. it's developing so that might that might prime it to be addicted to nicotine right uh so you'd have to like figure that all out first right and then um which it, it probably i mean it might have already been done it's probably already been done i just had a funny um, visualization of a rat smoking a cigarette <laughs> it's not <laughs> like you just light them up little cigarettes right no, I, I like <laughs> I have like a little box I put them in and I hot box them. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I literally just have I put a jewel into like a, a pump. It just like pumps smoke into a little chamber. So with a cigarette you, you couldn't do that though. I just stay in a cloud for a while. You right. can. But wouldn't that you just can, be secondhand like... smoke? Yeah. Oh, it's okay. the same thing. Hmm. I mean, it's going. Well, it wouldn't be hacking that up because it's coming directly from the. Oh. Right. I could literally just like stick a cigarette into like a pump a, into a tube that goes into a pump. Huh. Um, the only problem is like cigarettes get so gross so quickly. I was just gonna like, ask they're, how they're gross stuff, is like, your equipment get? Everything <laughs> up. But like with the jewels, it's not so bad. Yeah. It's, right. I mean, it it does get full of like, uh, full of um, just like gross glycol and yeah. vegetable glycerin and stuff. Um, but you can clean that up pretty good with ethanol. 
You should see some cigarette. of my friends' like cars, like the inside of their windows when they vape, like inside or whatever. Like after like years of it now, it's just like man, it's like a dog went and licked like the entire windshield, you know? Right, and at least like at least it doesn't smell yeah. that bad. Cigarettes, because I also have like a I have a pump that that smokes cigarettes as yeah. well, and it, <laughs> it's not for, um, it's not for exposing rats to cigarette smoke. It's for. Uh, um, running it through a saline and making like a cigarette smoke extract. Hmm. Right. That thing gets so caked in brown tar. Ugh. After just like, after like legit one cigarette, you will have like a layer of black tar oh my God. in the in the motor, throughout all of the tubing and in the jar. Um, And it's like, <laughs> I actually cannot clean it. It's off. actually like, Wow. I was actually in the lab today, um, like running ethanol through like a hundred percent ethanol and soap and it can't I cannot clean the tubing. Like That's, you need to wow. scrub it. I wonder like like how good our body soluble. is as at processing that stuff. If I guess I guess really it's not like if you look at people that smoke cigarettes after years their lungs are like black. But Yeah. Like, we're still pretty up. good that, like, you know, a high machine gets murdered by this, but, like, we're just, you know, you could smoke a couple packs and probably be fine, you know? Like, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I, I think your lungs are must be incredible, like, filters and repairers and cleaners. I mean, obviously because we've, we, mm. you know, evolved alongside fire and stuff, right? Fire, yeah, um, I suppose. And stuff in the atmosphere. We're just breathing in dust or breathing in who knows what. Uh, um, probably, our oh, bodies sorry. are pretty good at filtering. But oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say we should probably wrap this up pretty soon. But I wanted to ask you if, uh, like, a student has ever been like, like I don't know, expelled from like a university study that you know of that may have taken one of these pumps and like used it for like their own like hotboxing or like, like, is any? Is, do you know of anything that would have happened like that? I mean, maybe. Although, <laughs> like all these, I built myself, so they're oh, all like custom. I see. Have you ever? So I'd know. If, I would know if it went missing. <laughs> there's only one. Um, it's pretty cool. You could build one. I mean, people have done that before. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen that. Like, stick up to a leaf blower. <laughs> yeah, the, somebody did that. They made like a they hotbox like an entire building. Yeah, I saw a couple of those from like Steve will do it or Nelka or whatever it was. It looked like their house was on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Like a just a massive, like a super expensive way to burn a bunch of, like, bunch of weed. <laughs> yeah, like a thousand dollars and oof, and none like, of it goes into your lungs. It all just goes into your furniture, into, into the wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, that would Terrible. be not ideal. We got to figure out a way to like end the podcast. I, I was watching. So when I drove back from Kona to Saskatoon, I listened to one podcast the entire time and it was, um, the workaholics podcast, which is freaking mm -hmm. hilarious. I listened to every single episode. Um, and at the end of it, they always do like, okay, you know, they got four of them. So it's a bit more, but it's like, Oh, you get a compliment, a take back and, uh, and, a, and a callback or something like that. And it's just like, Oh, I liked how you did this. And it's like, man, we got to figure out a cool way to be like, Okay, Jude, Woody, do you have any plans or goals or food you would like to eat? What about that? What, what, what are you going to eat this weekend? Um, I made some, uh, last night I made a, like a butter chicken, but not chicken. It's paneer. Damn. Oh, that's butter, a cheese, right? Paneer. Yeah. Weird. Um, yeah, it's really good, actually. 
um, with like a bunch of vegetables. So I'll probably be eating that for a couple of days because it's there's a shit ton of it. <laughs> um, I made a lot. I know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, I still haven't mastered the whole making normal amounts of things. But... You can't. You literally well, can't. Part of it too is like if you're going to be going into the work to make a huge meal like you might as well make a shit ton of it yeah and that's my issue what i was talking about at the beginning it's like now you have to eat butter chicken paneer for the next five days or you're throwing half it out and you can't really just buy like financially responsible like a small like you can't really make one to two portions you know it's always like more economic to get the four pack of chicken breast or like the six pack it's like it's like well jesus man being yeah Yeah, it's true if you're buying like if you're buying for a single serving you you're essentially paying the same amount as you would at a restaurant. Well, I mean, a, a little eat. bit yeah. less, but then you're taking on the work yourself and, and you're losing out on, you know, I don't know. It's all a trade-off. Exactly. Obviously, everything's cheaper if you do everything yourself, but then you have no time. Definitely. I suppose we could try ending with, like, quotes or something mm. in the future. We could try to, like, prep a quote. Lex does that. Lex Friedman. Mm, I like that. Like a poem a or something. We should... uh. Yeah. Yeah, that would be yeah we be... should actually start like we should start writing our own shit and then like at the end it's just like here's something I wrote maybe not okay dude off the cuff but... <laughs> what's something that you wrote <laughs> roses uh... are red violets are blue my name is Ty and this is Jude <laughs> Jude and blue I don't know not quite but you know you it's know, a work in progress next time good. it'll be even better <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud. It was. I'm proud it's of your good, first attempt. Good first attempt. All right, and that is all for the three, two, one, the Jude and Ty podcast. Oh, well, this I is mean, actually Jude, the Jude and Ty podcast. Uh, <laughs> the the podcast featuring Jude and Tyler podcast.